0: Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Hear the word of God. Jesus also told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Jesus said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come, to point to the word just read, and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name. Amen. The 19th century astronomer Percival Lowell was famous among many things for two things. It was Percival Lowell... Through his perspective view, through his powerful Clark refractor, who observed that there was another planet in our solar system, the planet that came to be known as Pluto. Of course, several years ago, Pluto was declassified as a planet, but 100 years ago, Percival Lowell was lauded for the discovery of what was then the ninth planet. In fact, Pluto got its name in part from Percival Lowell. The planets we know, of course, are named after the Greek pantheon of gods. They chose Pluto, though, because it began with Percival Lowell's initials, P-L. I always thought it was named after the Disney character, but what do I know? (laughs) But the other thing that Percival Lowell is famous for is his discovery, or supposed discovery, of canals on the red planet, on the planet Mars. Percival Lowell, again through his powerful Clark refractor, could see very distinct lines on Mars that he deduced were canals, and from deducing that they were canals on the planet developed the theory that there was likely intelligent life on Mars that built the canals, and then developed the theory from there that there must be intelligent life which had created those canals, which led to a much wider fascination on the part of the world community that Mars actually had intelligent life and that there were in fact Martians and that there was the possibility someday that we would be visited by Martians, which of course led to that great intellectual saga, my favorite Martian, It took a while before the astronomical community began to doubt Percival Lowell's observation of these lines on Mars that he thought were canals. And pretty soon efforts to corroborate Lowell's findings resulted in those findings being discredited and along with them the astronomer. No one could quite figure out what Lowell was seeing when he thought he was seeing lines, canals on Mars until it was postulated by the scientific journal Sky and Telescope that perhaps through the particular way that Lowell adjusted his telescope and looked through it, that what Percival Lowell was seeing when he saw lines on Mars was he was seeing the shadows of the blood vessels in his eyes. He wasn't seeing what was out there. He was seeing what was in here. We don't know if that is actually the case because we don't have Percival Lowell around anymore but even if we did Percival Lowell would have a hard time imagining or even distinguishing whether what he saw out there was actually more about what was in here it's really hard for any man or woman to imagine that what they're seeing is actually more of what is going on inside It may be one of the most difficult challenges of the spiritual life to consider the possibility that what I'm seeing out there has actually more to do with what is happening in here. Jesus talked about this when he asked his question. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the two by four in your own hard to imagine that what I'm seeing out there has more to do with what's going on in here. There's that Chinese folktale that tells of a certain man who lost his axe. And immediately he suspected the boy next door, his neighbor's son, and it went beyond suspicion. He was convinced that his neighbor's boy stole that axe. When the boy walked by, oh, he looked like someone who had stolen that axe. When the boy spoke, he spoke like a boy who had stolen an axe. Everything that boy did looked like a boy who had stolen an ax. Later, when he was digging a ditch, he found the stolen ax right where he had left it. And to the man's surprise, the next day when he saw that neighbor's boy, to his amazement, that boy's behavior changed. He no longer looked or acted or spoke like a boy who had stolen an ax. What a coincidence, the man blindly thought to himself that that boy's behavior changed at the same time I stopped suspecting him. C.S. Lewis said that suspicion often creates what it suspects. Sometimes what we see out there is really what we see in here. In other words, we see what we want to see. The human mind can be deceitful that way, can it not? It often believes what it wants to believe, and what it often wants to believe is strangely tipped in our favor. For example, get on the scale in your bathroom, and if the number that comes up is a number you like, no need to try again. (laughs) That number is a number you don't like, boy, you try once, twice, three times, hoping that scale is wrong. We are very gracious when it comes to ourselves. Which I suppose is the issue that Jesus addresses when he tells his parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector praying in the temple. Luke tells us that Jesus told the parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Which I suppose means that Jesus is telling the story to us, to really any human being, because the truth is, to one degree or another, we all have this tendency, don't we, to tip the scale a little bit more toward ourselves. Francis Bacon put it this way, the human mind resembles those uneven mirrors in an amusement park, which import their own properties to different objects and distort them and disfigure them. I remember years ago in a previous parish, there was down the street from the church, a convenience store from which I visited frequently to get my daily coffee and for a time it was also frequented by a group of high school boys, skater boys, who looked like to me they were up to absolutely no good. You know, you get this impression, don't you, of a certain groups of people that you think are just up to no good and so Honest Engine, I created this whole narrative in my own mind that they were on the fast track to nowhere, that trouble awaited them, the school would dispense with them. Each time I saw them, I pitied them. A couple months down the road, the local Boy Scout leader asked me if I would come and pray at our church's Boy Scout Troop Court of Honor. And you know, the Court of Honor is where Eagle Scouts receive their coveted badge. Eagle Scouts who spend months and months, sometimes years, uh, earning merit badge after merit badge, studying about God and country, performing a project that brings goodness and beauty to the world. Sure, I said it didn't recognize the boy's name that would be pinned in Eagle Scout. Of course, imagine my surprise when they introduced me to that boy, one of those skater boys whose life I had seen as a dead end. Suspicion often creates what it suspects. So back to our Pharisee and tax collector who pray their prayers in a very different way. The Pharisee who prays before God and can only see what he wants to see and what he sees is himself and what he needs to share is his resume that puts him a little bit ahead of everybody else. I give more than than most give. I fast more than most fast. I voted for the right guy. I'm on the right side of every issue. I'm just pretty decent. I'm a legend in my own mind. I'm not a bank robber, I'm not an axe murderer, and I'm certainly not like one of these these tax collectors. There he goes. Takes that two-by-four right out of his own eye and bludgeons the man. He can only see the veins in his own eyes. But what he can't see of what's really there He's praying to God, but he's really not interested in what God has to say. He's certainly not interested to hear what God has to say about the sax It's a lost opportunity, isn't it, when our prayers don't give the good Lord a chance to get a word in edgewise. We lose the opportunity to discover more what we cannot see the Bible tells this made-for-Hollywood story about King David, a, a man, the Bible says, after God's own heart who lets himself slip into the scandal of scandals, lust, adultery, cover-up, murder, you name it, David's got his name all over it. And yet David has managed to delude himself into thinking that he is the poster child for morality, until his confidant, Nathan, tells him a story, story about a man, a rich man who steals a poor man's sheep. David wants the man brought to justice, only for Nathan to lower the boom to say, you're the man, and David feels the two by four, his own, go across the side of his head, bludgeoned by reality, the truth will do that to you. And David seizes then the opportunity to pray the words of Psalm 51 that was just read. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The proud and mighty king is given the chance to see beyond the veins in his own eyes. And deep inside, he sees his own need for the mercy of God. Humble to find that he's no better, maybe worse, than a sheep stealer. Hard thing though to admit, wouldn't you say? makes of course the task collector the hero of the story there was a time when when he thought that you know taking people's money from them stealing from them was justifiable hey everybody's got to do what they got to do he says to himself so who knows what happened that brought him that day to pray his simple prayer lord have mercy upon me a sinner period full stop no resume to follow Only the space for God to get a word in edgewise. And the word God wants to get in edgewise for this man is mercy. The great spiritual journey always begins there, right? Mercy, letting God see who we really are blemish and all and forgiving all the stuff the stuff we're not proud of the inconsistencies between what we say and what we do the unmentioned thoughts and feelings of which we are ashamed be merciful to me O god a sinner maybe that was the case with father brennan manning the roman catholic priest who did his best to build his resume, to earn the love of God by accepting the hardest assignments a priest could accept, by traveling the world, subjecting himself to the hardest conditions and ministering to the hardest communities. He did everything he thought he was supposed to do. He journeyed everywhere he thought he was supposed to go, but what he was most afraid to do, as it turned out, was to travel inward, the journey inward. And there he found the part of himself he didn't really want to know, the stranger within and came to terms with all the ways he tried to paper himself over with things like alcohol and addiction. And so he took the deep dive to discover all those things that God already knew and found there that God loved him even still. Said Father Manning, to live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side, the dark side, And in admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and I learn what God's grace really means. Which reminds me of the time when attending one of my college reunions and one of my classmates approached me and asked if he could have a word. Jim and I had gotten a little crossways with each other over our college years, nothing really bad, but I knew to keep my distance and he knew to keep his. So it was a surprise for me to hear him say that somewhere along the way after school, he had learned some things about himself of which he was not proud and that he had come also to learn about the grace of God and that he just wanted me to know that he was trying to be different. And that a part of being different was to say to me that he was sorry and to hope one day that he might be forgiven. Consider it done, I said, if you'll do the same for me. What was it that Jim Cimbala said the greatest Christian is not the one who's achieved the most, but the one who's received the most. Which perhaps is what the great prophet would point us to when he tells us that of all the things the good Lord could require of us, right there at the top of the list is to walk humbly. Walk humbly. Walk humbly and carry no two by four. Walk humbly. And know that the journey begins when mercy seeps in. When we see ourselves for who we really are and whose we really are. And that in the end, no one needs our stick. But all could use our mercy.